Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, welcome and thank you for the honour of doing this. I, I think when we were first talking, um, Laura, we were looking at the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and my, my gut feeling, and the reason is because um, the sacraments are so intermingled. There's like a single intention that God has for us, and he's enacting it through an through infinite number of ways, as, as we're going to find out. But, but the sacraments, I think we tend to compartmentalize a little bit. We say, oh yeah, baptism, that's for that part of your life, and this for that part, and this. And, and they don't speak to each other and sort of work collaboratively. I think that's to our loss. So um, I, believe it or not, I know this is very out of character, but I forgot something I wanted to bring. I wanted to bring little pieces of paper for you to write on, because a lot of this is actually dialogical. I, I want to get the wisdom of the room rather than just badger you with my little ideas. So you've got some paper. Look, if you want to um, make some notes on your phone or something to share, then, then please do that. But before we start, um, or rather, as we start, why don't the lights? Oh, I'm happy. I'm happy. Um, let's let's just commend this time to God in prayer, hey? Um, because hopefully, if we do have an encounter with the sacraments, it's a genuine encounter, which is with the living Lord Himself. So let's begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious God, we give you thanks for gathering us and for stirring our hearts to draw closer to you by all means, but especially today to reinvigorate and reinvive our uh, desire for the sacraments which you made available to us. We desire to know you and to be unified to you. So please draw us now, make us attentive, fire our imaginations and stir our spirits with your spirit who, who goes deeper than the mind or the heart really can go, cuts deeper than a double-edged sword, plums the very depth of our being. We ask you, Lord, to, to draw us now, to help us learn and to help us follow you with greater vigor. And together with Our Lady, we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so I have um, five questions for you to begin with, and this is for you to sort of jot down, and then if you've got them down, you can, you can talk them out a little bit, so, so that you don't have to be silent here. But um, just, just get, get your brain kind of working in this area, okay? So the five, I'll give you one question at a time. Um, and if you've got your pen or your phone at the ready, then, um, or if you've <laughs> got a very clear mind and you can do it just in your brain, which is better than me, then, then do that. So the first question is, what is the point of Christianity? <laughs> I know that's a big question, but I think it's important. Uh, so we're actually going to return to that question at the very end, but, but let's just kind of position ourselves. What is the point of Christianity? If you can put it in a few words or a, or a sentence or two, um, try and get that down. Jot it down so you have it have it there. Okay. Second question is define in your own words. So maybe you've got a catechetical definition in your mind and that's okay. But define in your own words what a sacrament is. What is a sacrament? Not what are examples of the sacraments, baptism, etc. What is a sacrament anyway? What is that category of thing? Thirdly now, um, list, list the sacraments that you know of in the Catholic Church. And if you want to, you can just list them in the typical order. Or you can sort of group them in an order that makes sense to you. Like, you know, there is, there is an order. Um, but, but we can sort of group them in several different ways for different reasons. So... Um, if you have a particular way of grouping them, yeah, go ahead. Okay, does anyone need me to repeat the first three questions before I go ahead? No? Yeah, if you do, just interrupt me, okay? Um, and the last two questions for, for this little introduction is nominate one or two sacraments as your favourite and maybe make a note why. Maybe you're drawn to a particular sacrament. Well, why is that? Why is it so attractive to you? And then by contrast, nominate one or two sacraments that you might know little about 
or you might not have opportunity to avail of for whatever reason and it might be good that, that we can't avail of some of them we don't need to avail of some of them but um, yeah one or two that you're drawn to and one or two that is, is a bit of a blank okay and if you can if you're happy with what you've jotted down can you just share share some of what you've written with the people around you and feel free to move around the room if you want we'll just have like two, two or three minutes to, to share and then I want to gather what's in the room, hey? So um, take, take the time now, feel free to get up and move around if you need to. Okay, about 30 more seconds and then we might see what's on the floor. Okay, all right. Uh, we might get ready to share some of our responses and I've got, I've got some stuff to read to you here um, to, to put in dialogue with that. But um, how do we go? So what are the sacraments? You feel free to just call them out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay, good. Good. And we, we heard some different phrasing of it. Did you say holy orders? Is that what you said at the end? What did you add at the end? Yeah, holy orders, yeah. Um, last rites um, is a particular form of care for the, for the dying. So um, at, at one point the sacrament was called extreme unction and people, pe yeah, and, and people, typically, um, people typically associated it with death. And so a bit of a... Um, I guess a bad practice crept into the church that people would hold off until the person was almost dead and then they'd call the priest. And that was a problem because, for one, it's not, like, what's the sacrament for? I feel like I'm jumping ahead of my notes here, but the church, I think, mindfully changed its name to anointing of the sick or um, pastoral care for the sick. The reason being, if you're sick, you can have that sacrament, okay? You don't need to be on death's door. Um, very often, we find, Father Andrew and I, we find out that people have died and the family was holding off or they thought they weren't up to it. Or, um, yeah, I mean, like, there are people who we anoint month after month, you know what I mean? Um, because they're perpetually in a state of needing grace and healing. Also, I'm sort of steering over my notes here, but um, the principal aim of the sacrament, and look at Jesus' healings if you want this um, validated anymore. The principal aim is not physical healing you know that's that's an aim that's part of who we are but look at all of the miracles of jesus where he healed someone it's always associated with salvation he'll begin by saying your sins are forgiven you or the kingdom of god has come to you or something deeply ontological like something to do with their soul and then their body kind of like uh i don't know agrees with the state of their soul you know what i mean so the fact that we have this um peripheral concern of Oh, the body's dying, we better... No. Um, the root of who we are is in here, and that's where, God, that's where God's most urgent care goes. Anyway, um, so good, we've got the sacraments there. Um, how have you ordered them? Did you group them, or did you put them in a particular order? For example, did you put baptism at the very end? <laughs> no? Baptism, confirmation? Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So you put those three together for the... Yep. Yep. Ah. Yeah. And then anointing of the sick. Wow. That's interesting. Okay. Did anyone group it differently? Yeah. Baptism, reconciliation, confirmation, first Holy Communion. All in one group? That's currently. Yeah. Like, okay. Yep. Yeah. And then Holy Orders and anointing the sick. Together. All right. Okay, so yours is like on a timeline. Yeah, right, good, good, okay. Um, the reason I asked this, I remember John Paul II, I wish I found the quote, but he was talking about... Yeah, I know. He was talking about um, marriage as this kind of primordial sacrament because before the church ever decided to do anything, the institution of marriage was already there, you know. 
and typically we baptize babies nowadays. Well, before there's a baby, there's a couple who brings that baby into existence. So um, JP2 actually saw marriage as an even more ancient and primordial and therefore prior sacrament than baptism. Not that he necessarily would have numbered them that way, but yeah. it's interesting, you know. Um, it's interesting. Okay, um, I want to read something here. This is in my footnotes, and it's, it's a bit wordy, but um, just have a listen to this and, and, and take note, because the second question, the third question I have here is, um, oh no, sorry, embedded in the first and second question, I've asked, just note that some of these sacraments are common to our brothers and sisters in other Christian traditions. Typically, baptism and um, baptism and Eucharist, uh, whether or not they have the same theological depth or whatever, they have they have a certain reverence, and it's certainly in their worship practice. So, um, there are points of connection that are just interesting, and in the fullness of time, please God, those points of connection will in fact bring the body of Christ um, into full unity. But have a listen to this. So, this is drawing from an article by a man named. Randy Stice, Father Randy Stice, and it was on a, um, the website is the East Tennessee Catholic, um, and it's just a blog about the sacraments. And he says, it's not a direct quote, but he says, over the centuries, the church discerned which sacraments the Lord desired to give the church. So did Jesus institute baptism in the exact form we have it? No, of course not. The church has kind of like built a sensible ritual around that. But Jesus certainly instituted it. For example, we have his very words, go and baptize and teach everything I've told you and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we don't baptize in that formula, it's not a baptism. It's not a valid baptism. Um, so yes, Jesus has instituted all of these, but the church as the body of Christ through time has sort of, um, I don't know, fixed upon more structured ways of, of, um, of, of enjoying those sacraments. So over the centuries, the church discerned how to do that and what they were. At one point, um, the suggestion from within the church itself was that there were two sacraments, baptism and Eucharist. These, if you look at the early church fathers, the most of their writings is like so centered on baptism because they were preparing catechumens to enter the Christian life. And there was a sense of urgency because there was lots of martyrdom. So it's like, you better learn it quick and be ready quick because you might be <laughs> fed to the lions tomorrow, you know? Um, and then Eucharist, which is the source and summit, as the church says, of our faith. So these two have always been um, front and center. Then, and I don't know who by, but um, oh, it says here, Tertullian. There, after that, there were five that were recommended or suggested. In addition to baptism and Eucharist, was confirmation, holy orders, and marriage. Considered sacraments as early as the second century in the church. Then, two centuries later, with Augustine, he included penance or reconciliation. Um, now we know that penance, all of these are in the scriptures. Okay, look at James where he says, confess to your brothers and sisters um, and be absolved, you know, confess verbally, not just spiritually to God, but, but the matter of your voice is part of the sacrament at work, you know, um, your contrition and all of that is the sacrament at work. And then finally, Pope Innocent in the, in the year 14, 416, um, in his letter, he was speaking about the anointing of the sick. So as early as the fifth century, boom, we've got the five sacraments, the seven sacraments um, uh, agreed upon and employed in the church. Um, historians look back at the first five centuries and what they see is a great silence about any argument about these. So no one seemed to say, no, that's not a sacrament or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, so the fact that a Christian would dare to throw out a sacrament now, um, you know, on what basis? The early church didn't see any problem with it. Uh, so there's this great silence that suggests that suggests the church was content with, um, with what was happening. Uh, in the medieval period, check this out, some considered that even consecration to king or queen was the eighth sacrament. Because you think to yourself, what do these things do to us when we witness them? Like when you witness the baptism of a baby, it does something to you when you watch it. When you witness the elevation of the host, it does something to you when you're watching it. So yeah, when you witness even ceremonies like the, the um, consecrating of a king or a queen, there's something grandiose and moving about it. And the church, for a moment, um, said, hey, maybe this is another opportunity for God to grace us, you know, to, to give us a kind of epiphany. But it didn't stay. Um, and then um, there was even, there was even, let me find my place. Um, at the Council of Trent in 15, 
45 to 63, the Roman Catholic Church formally fixed on the number of sacraments at seven, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, penance, holy orders, matrimony, anointing of the sick. Um, now this is interesting, just for one more ecumenical uh, connection. The theology of the Eastern Orthodox churches also fixed on the number seven. Um, the Protestant churches, for example, Lutheran, Anglican, and Reformed, have accepted only two, baptism and Eucharist, though Luther allowed for penance um, as a valid part of the sacramental theology. Okay, so there's this, in, the, in, the, in Christendom, in the whole Christian family, there's this loose, I guess, inventory of sacramental opportunities to encounter God. And, um, and, and thankfully, the church has these seven that, that are at our um, disposal. Um, I don't want to overload you with words, but I just want to read one more tiny bit. It's from the um, Britannica, the, the um, encyclopedia. Is this getting too wordy or is it okay? No, it's all right. It's okay. okay. Pull me up or, or, or interrupt with questions if you want. Um, I just realized I've eaten up a lot of time. Um, so it says here, this is regarding Christianity. So everyone, Lutherans, Calvinists, whatever. Um, the interpretation and number of the sacraments vary among the Christian churches of the world. The number of sacraments also vary varied in the early church, sometimes including as many as 10 or 12. In his book of sentences, um, Peter Lombard asserted that there were seven sacraments, a position adopted by contemporary theologians. Somewhere else it said that um, uh, um, St. Peter Damien also had 12, and he's a saint in our church. So it's interesting. I don't know what they were. I couldn't find them. I looked for them, but I didn't know where to look for them. Um, and, and, and we've, we've, we've heard um, what those are, so I'm going to skip that. This second bit is particular to the Eastern Orthodox Church, and it says, Contemporary Orthodox catechisms and te textbooks all affirm that the Church recognizes seven mysteria, or sacraments. Um, sacramentum is a Latin word, mysteria is a Greek word, so we're talking about the same thing, but the, but the Greek Church had a different way of referring to it. Um, and they, this is the Eastern Orthodox sort of um, sacrament. Baptism, chrismation, which, which is confirmation, but chrismation means, um, the word Christ means anointed one. So Jesus the Christ means Jesus the anointed one. And there were many anointed ones, but they were all anticipating the anointed one of God, the one with, with the oil of the Holy Spirit on him, not just some oil from, you know, uh, he, was more than, he was more than all the prior anointed ones. So chrismation is anointing. Um, communion, holy orders, penance, anointing of the sick, and marriage. Now this is interesting, and I think it gives us an insight into the way the Eastern Church typically thinks, which is very open, and I mean that in a positive way, very open to mystery. It's like, don't put God in a box. Like, if we can, let's make our theology really porous so that there's lots of <laughs> wriggle room for God to do whatever God wants, you know? Um, whereas the Catholic Church has... Also in a good way, but in a different way. We've fixed upon terminology, and we've fixed upon this kind of Aristotelian philosophy in our, in our thinking. So we have s stuff like transubstantiation, where we say the Eucharist, um, we're talking about substance and accidents. So the substance of the bread is bread, the accident of the bread is bread, and then after the transubstantiation, trans-substance, the substance transforms into something else, even though the accidents, that's everything we can see and taste, remains the same. So the, so the accidents are still bred. But now we'd get all philosophical about that, but the Greek church would just say, it's a mystery. What, why are you trying to explain it? It's just God. It's just God. <laughs> it's just God being present to us in this sign. So um, they're much more comfortable with mystery, I think, and, and without any lack of reverence, you know, like there's this deep awe that God can do whatever he wants and we don't really have a clue what it is. Um, Okay, anyway, but, but here's the thing. It says, neither, this is a quote from the Britannica, it says, neither the liturgical books nor the texts of the sacraments nor the patristic tradition of the, of the Eastern Church formally limits the number to seven. So no Greek authority has said it's only seven. There's not 10, there's not 12. They haven't bothered to comment on it because for them, if God wants 100,000 sacraments, he can have that. <laughs> they, they really don't mind. They do not distinguish clearly between the sacraments and such acts as blessing water on Epiphany Day, or a burial service, or the service of tonsuring a monk. You know when a monk makes his professions and he has that little circle cut in his head? Yeah, that could be a sacrament. Like, if God wants to speak to us through that, sure. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, 
In fact, no council recognised the Orthodox Church ever defined the number of seven. It is only the Orthodox Confessions written in the 17th century, which was directed against the Protestant Reformation, so against this, I don't know, tension in the church and argument, and the, and, and the, the Eastern Church said, let's comment now, you know, to put this to rest, or to at least draw some lines in the ground. Um, th th then they seem to accept seven, generally. Is that okay? I know that's a lot of information, but it's interesting. It's interesting. Okay. Um, now we're into part two of our presentation. And part two is about definitions. So can I ask, um, what was your definition of a, back, of a sacrament? How, how would you define a sacrament? Feel free to be as casual or as highfalutin as you'd like. Great. A journey of faith, love, and hope that brings you into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Wonderful. Uh, a milestone commemorating and deepening our faith and membership into the Catholic faith. Great. Anyone else? Sacred covenant. Nice and big, eh? Sacrament to me is unique moment with God. Great. Anyone else? Um, coming into the presence of God where we receive His graces and healing. Beautiful. Beautiful. No? Yes, yeah, please, Anne. Yeah. Is it, Father, an outward sign of God and it who gives us an invisible grace. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. You were listening to me talk to the kids the other day, weren't you? <laughs> no, that's good. That's Augustine's definition. That's Augustine's famous um, definition, which is good. Anyone? No? Caitlin? <laughs> you look like you're burning to share something, Caitlin. <laughs> um, okay, thank you. Those, those are good. Um, so, um, Anne, what you shared is, is the famous phrasing that St. Augustine gave us, and he's working out of a, a deep philosophy like the um, substance essence stuff that we're talking about so yes the sacrament is for us an outward sign of an inward grace that's his phrase um, now this is important and it I think it it immediately acknowledges that we are body and spirit it's not enough to only have an inward grace it's enough for God if God wants to do that God can do that but it's a bit presumptuous on our part when he makes visible signs available that we would say no I I just want the spiritual part the natural world doesn't work that way you know we're constantly interacting with stuff so so God consecrates certain stuff to, to then mediate um, grace spiritually sure um, but, but we have this kind of historical guarantee that it's actually happened um, now I want to I want to make a differentiation here and this is pretty important and it's pretty curvy, but it's worth getting your mind around. And we'll give a few examples um, to get our mind around it. Um, the, the definition that I heard or that I saw when I was doing sacramental theology was um, clarifying what exactly a sign is for Catholics and what exactly a symbol is for Catholics. So sometimes, um, even within the Catholic Church, sadly, but sometimes with our um, you know, uh, Christian brothers and sisters from different faiths or from people who are not versed with our, our traditions, you'll hear people say, yeah, look, I believe that the Eucharist is a beautiful symbol. It really speaks to me. It's a beautiful symbol, really means a lot, but I don't think it's literally the body and blood of Jesus. I find that, I find that just impossible, like, like nonsense. Um, but, uh, but, you know, sure, create a little ritual around it and that can speak to me, symbolically. Now, what they're saying is, is for one, it, it, it sort of acknowledges that, yes, we are not saying that the bread um, materially changes into anything other than bread, materially. Like, put it under a microscope at any point ever, it's bread. <laughs> Um, it, it can still mold, you know, it can still, whatever, it's bread, you know, uh, tastes like it, looks like it, if it could make noise, it sounds like it, it's bread for all biological um, or chemical purposes. 
So that's not the claim we're making. So we can respond, well, that's not really what we mean. But also, they're using the word symbol in a way that we would not use that word. And, and the reason is because we use the word symbol a whole lot in our faith. And, and we don't mean just a little reminder, just a little thing that kind of points my mind somewhere else. So it's worth making a differentiation here. The two things I want us to separate out is sign and symbol. And, and if we can get this clear, I think for one, it's, it's deeply satisfying to the mind, but two, it's a deep entry into the sacraments. It's such a deep entry into the beauty of them. Okay, so what is a sign? Well, we would say in, in the sacraments, you know, in the, in the way the sacraments operate, a sign is something that informs me. It kind of gives me information or it gives me an instruction, okay? So take, for example, um, this sign, okay? What is this? It's a stop sign. It, does anyone think it's anything different? No, it doesn't even have the word stop there. I got one that had the word and I found one that didn't and I got this one. Because, at least in this culture, we're conditioned to know that red and octagon means stop, okay? Um, now that's not an octagon, but it's still got red, so it still communicates stop to you, doesn't it? Or at least wait. But it does say stop, and the reason it's stop is because it's red, right? Um, now, this one here, they're all octagons, which is a little whatever, you know? You, you sort of just ignore it, don't you? You ignore that they're octagons because now there's more information to deal with. Um, one's green, one's yellow, and one's red. Now, um, how confusing would it be if you were on the road and you saw like a green sign that said stop. You'd, you'd, there'd be a crash, I reckon, because people just wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> um, or, or if there was a, ye a yellow sign that said stop or a, or a red sign that said wait, and they'd like, instead of waiting, they'd just abruptly stop. You know what I mean? There's, there's, there's a real um, confusion of signs. These are signs, by the way, they're not symbols. Okay, anyway, moving on from that, um, I, I think, I'm going to come back to the, the sense embedded in that in a second, but just imagine this, okay? So you're driving and you see this. Um, what do you do? What's, what's the first thing you do? You stop, right? Why? It says to stop. It says that to you. Good. It gives you an instruction. That makes it a sign, okay? Now, what if you don't stop? What happens? And don't, you don't need to play out a big drama of crashing and stuff, but if you don't stop, if you disobey that instruction, what does it do? <laughs> does it? Yeah. Maybe you've just got a really sensitive <laughs> conscience. Um, that's right. It, it was ineffective. Yeah. Like, like, it told you to stop, you didn't stop. Oh well, the day goes on. Yeah. You know? Does this stop sign, or this, the stop sign you see out there, will it ever reach out and physically stop you? No. no. Because if it did, we'd say, it's not a sign anymore. It's a symbol, okay? Symbols have an active potential. They can actually reach out and do something to you, almost whether you like it or not, almost. And that's, that's how the sacraments work, okay? So it's not just telling you, hey, 2,000 years ago, Jesus had this little supper with his friends and it was nice and meaningful and we're trying to kind of put our mind there. No. <laughs> We are saying, Jesus, the living bread, is reaching out to you now and, and is acting upon you in ways your senses can't even detect. That's a symbol. That's a symbol in the sacramental life. Um, I want to say one last thing about um, symbols, which are not in my notes, but, but it strikes me as important now. Um, we, we communicate with symbols all the time, right? So if I'm meeting someone for the first time, what's the first thing I do? Yeah, I usually shake their hand, introduce myself and stuff. But the symbol of doing that somehow communicates a lot. Um, and I think, you know, these last few years in COVID have been really, I don't know, they've, sort of, they've stunted our social interactions because suddenly we're like, you know, or um, can't, sign, can't wish to sign a piece, I'm just going to kind of wave at you and smile a bit. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, we're, we're always working with symbols and... And the symbols have an implicit meaning. Before we even ascribe a meaning to them, many of these things already have meaning ascribed, like it's sort of implicit, um, which gets to the thing of like how people think we can just 
mangle language and say, no, that now means that and that now means that. That sort of happens sociologically, but it's, it's damaging to our sense. We sort of lose our sensibility in general if, if we start to decide what things mean rather than letting them speak implicitly. You know? um, I was going to give a talk to the, to the, well, I was going to celebrate a mass for this for Catholic Education Week, and I had this idea that I was going to preach on symbols. Um, and I was going to say, I was going to get a, um, a flower, and I was going to say, um, this flower is symbolic of all my love, you know, all of my commitment, all of my everything. Then I was going to pick some old lady in the crowd and give it to her, and everyone would go, ooh, because, because it says something, right? And then I'd say, and this rock is a symbol of all my disgust and all my, like, uh, all my, like, outrage, and I'd give it to some guy that I could joke with. And, and, and you know what I mean? Like, it would get a reaction because I'm saying more than, oh, he gave her a flower. I'm, I'm saying, I'm utterly devoted to you, you know? Um, now, Jesus is speaking to us with a whole lot of meaning in these symbols, okay? So when it happens, we rightly swoon or burst into tears or whatever. Okay. Um, now let's, let's finally see how this applies to our sacraments, okay? So I want to use the baptismal water as an example, keeping in mind that it's not just a sign, it is a sign. It points to a whole lot of stuff that we're going to talk about in a second. But, but it's a symbol because we interact with it and it interacts with us. So, um, how is water used in the baptism? Right. It's a symbol of cleansing It's a symbol of cleansing, of washing away original sin. Good. Yep. And, um... It's poured. It's poured. Thank you. There's an action. Good. Yeah. That was good, but, but you've, you've completed it. There's an action. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yep, yep. It somehow wouldn't suffice to have a jug of water on a table and say, we're here for little Bobby's baptism and, and thank you, Jesus, and then it's over. It's like, wait a minute, when, when did it happen? It didn't happen. Okay, good. Uh, I, I've, I've written here that it, it tells us, it signifies being recreated, being rece uh, receiving the Holy Spirit, uh, being washed, as you said, and freed, this is a bit mystical, but being grafted into the body of Christ. We say that the baptized person is now a member of Christ's body, part of his mystical body. You know? um, they're adopted, they become an adopted son or daughter in Christ. Um, he becomes their brother, and, and we get to call out in the spirit, Abba, Father, and so forth. It says all these things. It says them. Now, when or in what way if it operates at a high level, if it operates as a symbol, when does it do these things? And you already know the answer to this because we've been talking about it. But it's like, when does it wash the child? Well, when it runs over their head and washes them, that's when. Um, when, does it, when does it kind of birth them anew? When the waters of the font kind of break like a womb do, you know? It's, um, when does it replenish their soul to a, to a fresh greenness of eternal life? Well, when, when, when it's acted upon them, you know, um, it, it, it literally does. This is, this is um, one second, I need to find the phrase I wrote. I can't find it, but I, but I said here, the thing about a symbol is it actually does what it says. It doesn't just say it, but it does it as well. Um, or, or the definition that I think I was meant to give, but I didn't actually give. You're right. Um, it's, one sec. It participates in the reality it communicates. That's the, that's the sacramental theology definition. A symbol participates in the reality it communicates. So you think, what's it communicating? Being washed, and then it participates in the washing. What does it communicate? Being born, and then it participates in the birthing. Um, it's amazing. Now, I'm giving away my own punchline here, but, but part, of the, part of the point of this is, it's not really about the water. Who is it about? I, I should have said what, but I've given away the thing now. Who is it about? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. God, I guess. I was going to say Jesus, but, but yeah, God. Um, so, so really, the sacrament is an outward sign of Jesus, who is the living water, who is bringing that person to himself. You know what I mean? Um, in confirmation, Jesus is the true oil who's chrismating that person. He's like embalming them in himself. It's not about the oil. Um, and, and dare I say, at the Eucharist, 
it's not really about the bread and the wine. Like it is, because Jesus desires to speak through them and act through them. Like, therefore, they deserve utmost reverence. Um, but, but in a sense, we, we'd make a mistake to idolize the bread, if ever we could do that. And I think the church in its genius has kind of safeguarded us from doing that. Because look at it. It's the most boring bread you could think of. It's tasteless. It's like half a gram. Um, it's, got no, it's got nothing of appearance. So it would be impossible to idolize it by accident. You could only kneel in front of it if you knew, that's my Lord. In, in all his humility. Okay. So um, I, I, I could talk more about that. But lastly, um, yeah, and... and Last, sorry, the last reason that's important is because the last reason I've written is that um, it's historical and it's concrete. Okay, so sometimes um, let's say I've created, I've, I've done this horrible sin, and I'm so remorseful and regretful and wounded, and there's trauma that's haunting me, and I, I just need to pray for forgiveness, and I do, <laughs> but 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 psychologically I'm still dealing with this monkey on my back, you know, like it's it's unshakable. The sacrament is historical in that at you know 518 just out there with father Andrew I went and I told him this and it wasn't just me and father Andrew it was me speaking to my Lord mediated through the priests and I said my sins with genuine contrition and with a genuine resolve to as genuine as I could muster up and that's enough like like the sacrament is valid if I've come there um, with honesty you know, and the fact that I've come there means, yeah, like we shouldn't be so scrupulous and say, oh, I went to confession, but I'm not sure if I meant it. You meant it, all right? You went there. That's the reason we have these, because it's a historical guarantee. You went, you were sorry, you confessed, and the priest um, received your uh, confession and he gave you a penance. And hopefully it was a simple one, not like me. I say, go do 50 push ups or something. Um, and then he prayed the prayer with the authority of the church. Again, it's not about the particular priest. There might be some priests who are nice and some priests who are bit harsh but it's not actually about that at all they're simply a symbol of jesus the forgiver the reconciler and then in the authority of the church he prays those prayers and he doesn't make up some random prayer to say oh god loves you you know be, don't be so hard on yourself who, who cares i'm not interested in your little counsel right now i want to hear my lord and jesus says god the father of mercies through the death and resurrection of his son has reconciled the world to himself um, by the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace, and I absolve you from all your sin. I think I've said it wrong. I missed the bit about the Holy Spirit. But I did, didn't I? No, it sounded good. Yeah, well, I suddenly thought, oh, I better have it written in front of me, but I didn't. Um, anyway, see how this is like so much bigger than one person or even two people. It's the whole church is at work here. And, and in that instance, the symbol is the priest. It, it makes you think like, Without, without getting a bit dramatic and certainly with not, without going off tangent here, there's pressure to be, to reflect as much of who Jesus is as I can because if I'm a jerk, it's a bad symbol. Like suddenly the symbol can't reach that person even though the sacrament is valid and um, efficacious and all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so Jesus... It's almost if you put Jesus's moral commands in the context of, hey, by the way, you're symbols. <laughs> so you have to be efficacious symbols. Otherwise, you're letting me down because I want to talk through you. Imagine that. Imagine putting the moral life in the, in the context of, hey, by the way, you're meant to help me do the sacraments. <laughs> so, so please help me. You know, don't make it hard for me. Don't make it hard for people. Um, and, and almost that's why he's upset when people can't encounter him through the very things he instituted. Um, Pretty cool. Anyway, look, I've spoken for ages, so I want to ask you one last sort of question, and then um, we'll gather that up, and then, and then I think we're just about ready to move on. So the question is, uh, let's acknowledge the great scriptural heritage. We've spoken all about philosophy and whatnot. Let's acknowledge the great scriptural heritage that comes with these symbols. All of these symbols have been, they're like all through the scripture. You know, pick any random page and you'll see one of them. Um, Let's start with water, okay? We could start with any of them, but let's start with water. Can you just list, and if, if you want to write it, I, I can see Terry writing that, or if you want to just call it out. Maybe I'll just give you 30 seconds, but just list when water has been present in the stories of the Bible, okay? So think back all the way to Genesis. In fact, the very first few lines, and then all the way through Jesus' ministry, 
and then all the way to the end of the eschaton in the book of Revelation. Just think, yeah, water was there, water was there, water was there. Just do a bit of an inventory now and, and name all the times, if you can, that water was there. I'll give you, um, I'll give you a minute because 30 seconds is a bit rude. If you, well, just pick a, pick a few, scatter a few, you know, some that stand out to you. Yeah, good on you. Good. The woman at the well, Noah's Ark. Genesis. God's spirit hovered over the waters. Moses, parting the Red Sea. Or turning... And the reeds. Oh, and the reeds. The baptism of Jesus. Good. Good. Water into wine. Beautiful. Beautiful. Jesus walking on the sea. Good. Caitlin, you got one? You gotta have one for me. <laughs> you think of one and then um, and then steal it before someone else does. Oi, stabbing in the side, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cleansing the leprosy, yeah, yeah. Is that Naaman? Go and wash in the Jordan? Yeah. The cup of water and carrying the cross. Does that is that a station? I don't know. I think he didn't. I think it's in the movie. I think my might, might, might be in the movie. Jesus washing the feet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. And there's a million more we could name, right? There's a million more. Um, I here's a few that I found um, on trusty Dr. Google. Google. Um, this is what I think you said first in Genesis. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Um, this is from Isaiah. There's like, there were so many from Isaiah that I had to eventually just move on. But with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah 12 verse 3. When you pass through the waters I will be with you and when you pass through the river um, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Isaiah 43, verse 2. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, the streams of the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. See, each of these carry like their own connotation. Like the first few was about creation, about the joy of salvation, about passing from safety into from danger into safety. This one's about like aridity. Like think of famine and social social famine as well you know like it's just destitute and god's water which is jesus you know that beautiful hymn we sang at um advent it was um rorate chaley uh i forgot i forgot it but we used to sing it and it's god in isaiah promising to send his rain upon the land and it's a messianic prophecy because the rain is jesus man it's cool um Anyway, there's heaps from Isaiah, but I'm going to skip them. This one's from 2 Samuel um, chapter 22, verse 17. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of the deep waters. It's like that line from Moses, um, out of the reeds. Here's um, Hebrews 10, Christ's sacrifice once and for all. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Isn't that glorious? And this is like an image of the Holy of Holies, like being brought into the presence of God in the highest of heavens where the eternal priest is there celebrating mass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is just, it, it sends you into an ecstasy. Jesus speaking with Nicodemus. Um, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. That's why we hold baptism in such high regard. It's like, is baptism essential? Yes, it is. Please don't withhold your child or your anyone, you know, your adult, whoever. Um, get them baptized. Does God need baptism to save people? No, God is God. God can do whatever God wants. But has God given us baptism and a moral imperative to take that gift? Yes. Yes, he has. Like the laxity is just not good. It's simply not good. Um, on marriage, this is Paul in Ephesians um, chapter 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Man, I love that. Um, and then finally, this is the last one. It's the very last chapter in the Bible. So, you know, think where we started over the void, um, the waters there. And then at the very end, when you're looking at the chat, the thing is called Eden Restored, but you're looking at the new Jerusalem, this kind of eternal kingdom with perfect symmetry, if you've heard it described, it's like, yeah, it's this many cubits high and this many cubits wide. It's a cube. 
It's like a perfectly at rest shape. In all geometric perfection, it's perfection. It's heaven at rest. Listen to what it says here. Um, uh, chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. Then the angel, this is John being uh, led around by the angel and shown all this stuff. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree, the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. It's like the water's been there the whole time. Literally the whole time this character who is water has been there. Uh, just think about like St. Francis's big hymn that praises all the different things. And he's like, praise, praise you, Lord, for the water who did this and that. And praise you for the fire who did that. Yeah, these are characters in the story. Active. They have an active potential. They're acting they're, they're actually protagonists. Like, they're not inanimate. They are inanimate, but, but animated by God's Spirit, they're, like, pretty important characters. Like, we have water to thank for our salvation. We have fire to thank for our salvation because in God's creation, He desires that they would play a part. Isn't that just incredible? I think it's so... It just makes me want to melt. Um, anyway, I, I, I don't have it with me. I was meant to bring the rite of baptism, but if you look at the rite of baptism, in the rite of baptism praying that the water become holy water, okay? And I always say this baptism, I'm like, I'm about to go and make that water holy water. Does that mean it becomes radioactive or, you know, it, it like has some ultraviolet qualities or something? No, it does not change chemically at all, okay? Because it's a sacrament. So substance, changed. Uh, accident, not changed, okay? So it, it's chemically water still. But God, who is the author of life, has written that water into being and he knows its resume so to speak so he knows it can wash he knows it can replenish dead stuff um, he knows it can fall from the sky and um, cure arid land he knows that water has that skill set so he's like this particular water right here I know your capacity I know your qualifications I'm now going to employ you for a new purpose you're still going to wash but not cars you're not going to cart your grimy bricks you're going to wash the, the spirit and soul of my children. You're going to quench the arid dryness of their souls ridden with sin, you know, in a broken world. You're going to do what you do, but for divine purposes. So cool. So um, the prayer itself acknowledges that and, and kind of collects up the, the history of, of it. So it says, God whose face hovered over the waters at the dawn of creation. Um, you led Israel, your people, through the waters of the Red Sea. You um, made Noah and the flood the sign of baptism where people make an end of sin and a new beginning of life. Your water and blood flow. You will that water and blood would flow from your side when you hung upon the cross. All of this stuff. It's like this is the same, I don't want to say person because it's not, it's not really a person, but it's a character, you know, who, who's got this constant role that God is almost asking or commanding the water to do. Um, okay, anyway, I think I've made my point. This is how deep symbols can speak, isn't it deep? To, to go away from today and be like, oh, it's just a symbol. It's like, wake up, you know? What else is there? Like, everything is a symbol. You're a symbol. I confused myself the other day when I was trying to talk to Haley about this. And I was like, you're a symbol, I'm a symbol. And then we tried to talk about why and we got a bit stuck. <laughs> um, uh, but by the way, I, I just, I, I, sorry I keep remembering random stuff. Um, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's talking about symbols, right? He's talking about water. But Nicodemus is not really getting it. So Jesus goes back a step and goes to a sign. He says, hey, remember when um, Israel was in the desert and they were being bitten by those serpents? And a sign was raised, which was the serpent on the standard. Everyone looked at that sign. He goes, well, I'm going to be a sign as well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill what that was. He goes back to a sign and then slowly makes his way to symbol again, which is so cool. Um, so, so this is not a disparaging of symbols. It's just understanding that there's, there's like higher degrees of how things function. Um, we've got the sacraments, then we've got sacramentals like rosaries and medals and um, blessed salts and stuff. And then we've got sacramentality, which is the fact that every single thing everywhere is at God's disposal to speak and act upon you, if God so desires. He's made it with that capacity. On that note, I just want to read this poem by Gerard Manley Hopkins. It's called God's Grandeur. Have you heard it before? This is um, 
Gerard Manley Hopkins was a Jesuit. He died in 1889, but he wrote some beautiful poetry. And if you go on YouTube, you can hear um, part of the word on fire thing once it's, it's like expanded into this big, big thing now. And um, Bishop Barron has gotten Jonathan Rumi from The Chosen to read these poems from uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins. So they're good, and there's a bunch of them. This is the most famous one, um, and it talks about sacramentality. It talks about how literally everything, if you have the childlike eyes to see it, is just part of God's big um, moving artwork to, to come and embrace you at every moment, everywhere. Um, so maybe, why don't you close your eyes and listen to this for a second. And keep in mind, this is like 200 years old. Well, not really, 120 years old. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil, crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod. And all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil. And wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off, the black west went. O morning, at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost, over the bent world, broods with warm breast and with ah, bright wings. Okay, sorry I didn't read that too well, but um, I want to, we're sort of over time, but if you have any questions at all, Raise them now, and we'll give like a three-second answer. <laughs> three seconds is more like three minutes, but um, raise them now, if, if you have any, or any thoughts whatsoever, and then, and then we can conclude. Yes, yes, I can. I'm actually going to mention it in a closing prayer, so, so maybe I'll leave it to your meditation, but thank you for raising it, because you're right. You, you start to see it everywhere. Yeah. So finding the definition of sacrament, I know John Bowman says it, but I was thinking of sacred covenant. Does that mean two parties have to say yes? So God's saying yes, but we have to say yes to be in that Yes, symbol? yes it does. So a baby? Yeah, in baptism. You're saying, yeah, that's the argument. Yeah, good. Um, so... Yeah, that's right. Well, that's well, that's actually part of it. That's actually part of it because why? It's like saying, um, "Does this baby want food?" Um, exactly, exactly. It's it's part of like we can assume that the inherent goodness of baptism is desirable to that person by virtue of their parents' faith, which like keep. Faith and reason are not at odds with each other. So in the same way that the parent makes reasonable decisions, like I'm going to hold your hand while we walk across the road, I'm going to feed you this stuff and not that stuff. The parent can do that to their child, and it's not an abuse, but it's actually good. It's good care. The same, the same logic follows through with faith, where they know what good is, and therefore the church says, yeah, good, do it. Um, um, but once the child is past the age of reason, which is, which is eight, and I don't know how we settle on that age, but maybe psychologically it, it fits. Um, at that point, the child can say, I want it. Um, which is why we have confirmation after that point, because now they're saying, yeah, what my parents did, I actually assent to. Please see it through to its completion. So I still feel like in grade six, I'm still saying yes Okay. Yeah, well, that's okay. And, you know, that's again, it's for their life. It's like that's yeah. their school. I still think the vegetables. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. 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 yeah, I know. I guess it's not a hard line. I don't know how the church fixed yeah. upon that. We could we could research it, but I'm not sure. As um, I as I um, uh, I'm not a believer years ago, mm. and then I Feel like yes, that is the presence of Christ in all 
Something is happening. Yeah, yeah, something very real is happening. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but the epiclesis, which is the, this, this gesture, that's in all the sacraments, okay? So the priest performs an epiclesis over the water to, to make it holy water. Then at confirmation, over the, the bishop uh, calls the Holy Spirit upon the person. And then slaps him in the face, which says, "You're now an adult. You know, you're a warrior. Get out and be a be a." He's meant to slap him. That's what the rubric says. Nowadays, they kind of gently, you know, <laughs> professional standards and whatever. Um, uh, at, at the Eucharist, yeah. At at reconciliation, the prayer of absolution, um, because the principal agent there is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You know, um, the Holy Spirit is never. The Holy Spirit is always where Jesus is. Like, they're never off in different directions. <laughs> um, uh, Shane Bennett at the seminary, he did this thing where um, he put oil on our hand. It was like a seminar thing. And he said, now touch, touch that person. And he touched them. And the oil rubbed off. And it's like, did you touch them or did the oil touch them? Well, I touched them. But the oil was with me and now the oil's with them. You know what I mean? Like, that's Jesus and the Spirit. It's just like marking everything, you know? Um, okay, anyway. Mm, mm, mm. Because after that one, we'll be having a baptism. From now on, you are belong of the Holy Catholic Church. Yeah. Is that acceptable on our? Because we are in the, in the different churches. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So, um, the Catholic Church recognizes any baptism that uses water. And that is in the trinitarian form i baptize you in the name of the father and of the yeah. son and of the holy spirit doesn't matter if they're uniting anglican uh it matters if they have a different christology in other words it matters if they have a different idea of who jesus is so for example jehovah's witnesses don't see jesus as divine i think i don't want to misspeak here but i think that they see jesus as an angelic figure um who's basically the same person as the archangel michael so he's not He's not the eternal son of God who is God. He's like the highest creature, the highest. There's no creature higher than him, but he's still a creature. Um, and that, and we would say, no, sorry, that's a different Jesus. So that baptism is, is invalid. Or if someone uses a different form, if they say this was happening um, a little while in Brisbane, um, and it was a big controversy, unfortunately, but um, the priest there was saying, I baptize you in the name of the creator, the sanctifier, and the redeemer. Sorry, that's not the form Jesus gave us. That's not a valid baptism, you know? Um, so all of those were invalid and there was like generations of baptisms that were invalid I think um, the same thing happened in America with a much smaller departure from the form um, the priest said we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit it seems innocent but see what we're doing is we're saying if, if we trivialize it and we say oh he meant the same thing he meant it well suddenly you open the floodgates to nonsense literally like and and the argument that people were making, and it was a very emotional affair, so I, I don't want to blunder over it, but um, the argument that people were making was um, he's a good priest and he had every good intention and we had every good intention and you've left priests out there who are abusing and who are you know, having mansions and, and they can do their sacraments but this guy can't. Why? Because it's not about the moral quality of the priest. It's about the validity of the sacrament. You know, like if I was here celebrating the Eucharist with... I don't know, orange juice for, for five years and, and, and I'm prayerfully doing it and everyone's having a, everything's morally good. It's like, sorry, that's the wrong, that's not, that's the wrong recipe. Like you didn't make the same thing that Jesus asked you to make. It's a different recipe entirely. Um, it's, it's not about, do you understand? Like it's, it's about matter and form and this is important. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it connects really to everything. Like for example, in a marriage, um, you know, the three building blocks of the marriage are freedom, 
So um, the first question we ask them is, are you free to enter into this? You know, you're not being coerced. You're not like doing this because you need a visa or something. Um, you need to be free. Um, and then f um, free, wait a minute, free, uh, willing, um, and wholehearted. Yeah, whole, wholehearted. So like, not, it's not like half of me is marrying you or 99% of me is marrying you. All of me is marrying you. Like I'm reserving nothing. Um, now, if, if we don't establish that, you can't make promises because you're either not free to make those promises or you don't really mean them. So the church has to make sure that you're, you can even say a promise. Then you say the promise. And then we call God to bless that because it's really, really hard. <laughs> like on human strength, you can't do it. So it's a sacrament. Let's please get God involved in here. Are you free? Yes. Okay, do it. Good. And now God fortifies your effort. And, and if any one of those is not there, the church can say, actually, that's not a marriage. That's not, it's got, not got the ingredients. You know, it looks like a marriage, and it looked like a marriage for so many years, but it's not. Um, yeah. Cool. Now, Father Andrew's here, so he's, he's going to laugh that I'm still talking. Um, yeah, one more question. Sorry. No, we'll go to. What was that? The who? Um, God's Grandeur by Gerard Manley Hopkins. God's Grandeur. Okay, well look, Father Andrew's going to come in to hear confessions and I'm going to stick around for, for confession as well. So, oh sorry, you had a question? I'm stuck with the word symbolism still. Mm. Um, because that's the language that my non-Catholic friends I know. and non-Christian I know. friends I know. will say, oh, you know, we have the symbol of the bread before you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I never use that language of symbol. I know, I know. So I'm finding it really difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally yeah. I totally understand what you're saying in terms of it's an action. I know, I know. That's so part of the problem that yeah. we're finished. That's part of the problem with um, the fact that we use a different we use a different word or we use the same word to mean something different. So yeah, like um, I guess you'd ask them what word you differentiate signs from symbols if you wanted well, to. What I would do yeah. now is always explain that symbol means yeah, yeah, yeah. that it's actually yeah. an act. It's yeah. yeah. At least in sacraments. Yeah. 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 And and like I mean the funny thing is like they would they would have a whole lot of symbols. Like for example, the scripture would be a symbol for them. It's like, do you really believe that God wrote this? No, of course you don't. Like the spirit the spirit has breathed the word, but that's not God's handwriting. You know what I mean? So it's a kind of symbol. That God will speak through, but 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 we'd be a bit stupid to think it's a handwritten letter from God. Like it's not, um, but but it is a genuine encounter with God. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a fine line to kind of get get clear in your head. Um, okay, so these were meant to be the sacraments. So baptism, yeah. Um, anyway, look, Father Andrew is getting vested, so I'm going to get vested. Um, if you'd like to avail of the sacrament, please do. Um, but if you'd like to um, just sit and meditate or use the space, then do that. And if you want to um, look at the symbol, because I didn't actually get back to your question, if you want to look at the symbol of the Eucharist, the bread, um, you can get on Spotify and look up a meditate. It's 20 minutes, so it'll take you just before Mass. Um, a little, let me just suck in my gut. <laughs> a little, um, that's not really bad. Um, oh, you want me in it? Sorry, sorry, okay. All right, anyway. Um, <laughs> Um, if, if, what am I saying? The episode is called, um, it's written here, a 20 minute um, meditation on, the, on Corpus Christi. Yeah, it's called a 20 minute meditation for the solemnity of Corpus Christi on Spotify, yeah. And it's, it's in um, the suspended in the word podcast. Yeah? Okay. If you want, I can read this, and that'll be actually our close. I'll just leave you. I'll read it and then go away. <laughs> okay? So we can close our eyes here. As this presentation comes to a close, I invite you into a time of meditation. We're about to gather for Eucharist. You are going to see all kinds of symbols at work. For one, the faithful gathering is a symbol of the body of Christ. From where have all these people come? What might each of them have left? responsibilities and things which are important but thankfully not urgent enough so that they allow us a time to avail of the gift of worshipping. What do each of us hope to leave for good as we come here? 
whatever has been identified in our lives as toxic or damaging to our relationships with God and neighbour. To what will we all return after Mass when the priest says, go forth? You will hear God speak, not just in your mind, but symbolically through the voices of the people in this community with whom you walk this journey of faith. You and they together are the face of God in this place. You are God's symbols employed to proclaim and break open his word of grace and truth. Come the high point of the celebration, what we know to be the source and summit of the Christian life, you will see simple bread and wine brought to the priest and placed on the altar. But it is not just a few morsels of bread and wine that could barely constitute a meal. Together with these is brought up to the priest the gift of everything you have and are. Your family, friends, colleagues, all that you know, your most cherished beliefs, concerns, plans, hopes, griefs, and all that you don't understand, all that you've done and all that you're yet to do, your resting, your rising, your work, rest and play, all of this is brought as gift. You'll see the most negligible drop of water poured into the chalice, as Father Andrew quietly prays the words, by the mystery of this water and wine may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Yes, just as the water, as far as we can tell, becomes wine, so, so too, at the altar, you will be dropped into God and lost there, indistinguishable thereafter. And then we will consume. You will not just see and learn from this symbol, but you will take it in and it will continue to act with all the power it possesses, the same power which subdues the whole universe, because the bread is, in fact, the living bread come down from heaven, Christ, the Lord of the universe, and the bridegroom of your soul.